Hello everyone and welcome to Sentient Future. Today I'm happy to share with you my interview of Personally Borderline. She's a young yet mature, driven, soon-to-be university student. And today she shares what it means to her to live intentionally. She has a strong sense of community, is forward-thinking by nature, and is passionate about destigmatizing mental illnesses. The interview is a little bit on the lengthy side at an hour and 20 minutes, but Personally Borderline drops so many practical gems that I really recommend you stay tuned. As a brief reminder for Anchor listeners, at the top right of your screen you can speed up the audio, while still benefiting from everything that Personally Borderline had to share. That said, thank you for listening in today, and I hope you learn as much from Personally Borderline as I did. Hello everyone, welcome to Sentient Future. Uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, her name is Personally Borderline, and she's a fellow anchor podcaster. I strongly recommend you follow her on her station. Um, so today, uh, as you know, we're going to do with, with most interviews, is we're going to give you an example of you know, how Personally Borderline and how uh, you know, different individuals live intentionally. And that's you know, largely their, their why, you know, what do they see their, the purpose of their, their life being, at least at this point in their life, how, what are some of the, the strategies or what are some of the talents that they have that they put to good use in uh, satisfying that why, and their what, you know, what are some of the daily um, actions and activities that they do that, that help them, uh, you know, live uh, more intentionally and and uh, be more fulfilled. So, um, so welcome, personally, Borderline. Uh, how are you Hi, today? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Good, great. Uh, well, it's very, very nice to have you. I appreciate your spending the time uh, with uh, with me and with the the audience uh, today, with our listeners. Mm-hmm. And so, maybe we could start with, I guess, a bit of background. You know, can why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and what types of things are important to you? So. Um yeah, I'm personally borderline on anger, purse for short. And who am I? I am an 18-year-old newly admitted university student going to my first year of university. And um, there are quite a few things that are important to me. Mental health um, is a newfound interest of mine and the, the topic of my podcast and just what I do on this um, corner of social media. Um, a couple other things are just my, my friends and, um, you know, living a life that I enjoy and that includes um, having good people around me and also being successful and just making goals, achievable goals for everything that I set out to do, which is going to primarily revolve around um, what I do within my university for the next four years. So if I could just label them, it would just be friends, mental health, and then my progression through university. Wonderful. Okay, well, that, that's a, a great... Um sort of high-level structure, and, you know, if you want to return to those themes, uh, entirely up to you, but uh, you're recognizing that we all have different facets to our lives and may have different goals and, and reasons um, for our actions in those different uh, aspects. Uh, you know, speaking to each, uh, I think, would be helpful for, for those who, you know, obviously have, have their own personal goals and then their own friendships and, um, and personal pas- passions as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I thought we'd start off with really asking you about your why. So, what are the types of things that you know you're you're passionate about? What are some of the causes that you're passionate about? What you know, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? That type of thing. Um, where 
what type of impact would you like to have in you know on your life and and the lives of others? So I think for each of these three parts, I'm going to be giving two tiered answers. Um, one for just kind of my mental health awareness kind of initiative, mostly on social media, and then another tier for just the general rest of my life, because when it comes to interviews and stuff, I seem to be dividing my life up that way. Um, so for the why and just what I'm, I'm looking for, um, when it, anchor specific, um, this corner of social media specific, uh, my goals with personally borderlined and this specific brand is just, I went through a period of my life where, um, I, I acted impulsively and I was depressed, um, suicidal. I would make decisions that logically I knew didn't really make any sense, but emotionally I was driven to do them anyway. And I had no idea why I was the way I was slash am the way I am. Um, and it got, I, I would always become really frustrated with myself because I wouldn't know how to act quote unquote normally. And I tell the story a lot, but it was, um, during watching an episode of Teen Momoji, when Amber Portwood, one of the moms on the show, was talking about her borderline personality disorder and how it affects her and, you know, how it's affected her life, that I kind of thought, you know, maybe this is what I have. And I looked it up and looking it up and connecting with it and um, connecting with the diagnosis pushed me to go back to therapy and kind of... Um, uh, open up that door again and it started my my discovery which I like to call it my discovery of my um, mental health and just the way I am why I am the way I am and further down the line my recovery from um, a lot of the symptoms that I exhibit so my goal with um, with personally borderline and what I do with this brand is just to be someone's Amber Portwood in the sense that I just want to talk about how my mental health issues affect me and open up the conversation for other people to talk about how their mental health issues affect them. And if someone who's just kind of passing by and listening can maybe connect with someone's story um, and put a name to what they're suffering with um, and it pushes them to get the help that they need, then I, I feel like I've done my job. Um, secondly, I just, I want to reduce the stigma and humanize a lot of mental illnesses that are misunderstood or that are stereotyped. Um, so I also like to open up the conversation so that, um, people who may not be struggling with mental health issues, but might not understand can use this as one of the many resources to, um, to learn about something that they don't necessarily understand and learn about a different perspective and maybe grasp grasp the fact that a lot of people who suffer from mental health issues, a lot of actions that are associated with whatever they're uh, suffering with, are they are voluntary in the sense that we do them, but they're very impulsive. And sometimes it's an impulse that it's like an itch that you need to scratch. It's, it's not something that you can necessarily stop doing. Um, and it's not necessarily something that people can mitigate um, and act, quote unquote, normally. Um, so that's kind of my, my why for, um, personally a borderline. And then my why in my life, just generally my life is to, um, again, just be successful in my endeavor endeavors. Um, and what success has 
looked like for me in the past coming out of high school is that um, I've been very involved in the communities that I've decided to be a part of, including my school and my extracurriculars and my work life. Um, I got to the point in my schooling where um, I was a high honor student, so I excelled in my classes. But further than that, I also created a personal relationship with quite a few of the faculty and the staff and my teachers um, and my guidance counselors to the point where there was a time when I walked into um, a human resource room and I I gave my name to a random teacher I'd never seen before. I think they were just hired um, for that year. And um, she looked at me and she said, oh, you're this person. And I said, yes, um, who are you? I, I, I've never met you before. And she was telling me how she was a new teacher, but she'd heard of me because of how active and involved I was um, with my school environment. So I'm moving towards a uh, university, and it's a rather large university in the middle of my nearest um, metropolitan city. So my goals going into there is just, again, being involved, being a meaningful part of the community that I'm, I'm in, um, being known, not, not like superficially just to have my name around, but being known for doing good things and for being helpful. Um, and just feeling fulfilled when I walk across the stage for the second time to get my degree, not just my diploma, but my degree. Um, I want to be able to look back on my four years and, you know, be able to think of all the things that I'd organized, all the things that I'd helped with all of the, um, the teachers that I connected with, the professors, um, and not only do well academically, but literally leave a mark on my school while I'm there. That's, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, before we move on, I just want to take a, a moment to applaud your maturity and the way that you're approaching uh, your life at, you know, I can say this now, uh, um, at a relatively young age. Um, <laughs> you seem to recognize the importance of relationships in life and uh, you know whether it's other people developing a relationship with with you through uh, you know listening to your story and identifying with parts of it and feeling as though they um, you know have you know people it you know that are as passionate about them about about uh, you know causes related to, to mental illnesses um, or as it relates to uh, you know community and and your network and and what have you, and it seems like it's coming from a really genuine place. Uh, that's just the sense I get. And thank you. You know, I I can't see that doing anything but you know wonders for you as it has thus far. Oh, thank you. It is coming from a genuine place, and I I admit I tried doing initiatives for other topics, and my intentions were not in the right place, and it it never lasted. So I can tell that this is something that's a good fit for me and something that I think will also be a good fit for other people in the way that I want to connect with them just because I've sustained it for so long and I've been interested in it for as long as I have been. So, that, yeah. That's wonderful. So, I mean, for our listeners, if I might, you know, draw parallels between what Personally Borderline seems to have done here with her life and the sort of the, the worldview that, that I sort of put forth and the, uh, the intentional living um, goal that, you know, I, I think we uh, would all benefit from having, it's that, you know, she has found in many senses uh, 
clarity in who it is, who she is, at least now, recognizing that we all change, but at least now she seems to have a good idea of who she is and uh, what her interests are, and she's remaining true to them. Uh, she's accepted them for what they are, and, and perhaps it sounds as though you've come across areas where you had perhaps wanted success, but they might not have aligned with uh, your... Um, so they they might not have aligned with your like who you truly are, and so as a result, you know, just they they haven't been sustainable. Um, and and so what? Yeah. And so so what? What I really like about what you you've done here, personally, borderline, is you've started to demonstrate to yourself and others how sustainable and powerful living as yourself can be. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's just it's inspiring. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, one of my many rules for my life is just I don't lie to myself or try not to lie to myself. I try to be honest about my intentions and my actions and my intended actions and um, what consequences or rewards they'll have at the end. Yeah, I love that. And for anyone listening who's heard that time and time again, be yourself. Like. It does work. Like, it's not just a... <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. It, it's not just something we say. Um, and, and personally, Borderline here seems to be a, a shining example of it. So, so moving, I guess, along, knowing now who you are and, um, you know, and trying to remain, and not even trying, I suppose, just being authentically true to it, uh, how are some of the ways that you use your... You know your your skill sets. Obviously, you, sort of your ability to communicate and connect with people. Uh, how do you use some of those to achieve what you're you're looking to do? Um, so my how are um, so specifically again on Branford personally borderline. I because it's something that I'm. I'm passionate about and because of just the climate on anchor right now, anchors an integral part for, um, brand growth at the moment. Um, it's, it's really nice to go into a community that's not only new. So you, you feel like you're learning along with everyone else, but is accept accepting and supportive and are also as open as you intend to be, which is something that I didn't expect to find. Um, uh, with Anchor specifically, I, I went on and I found that people were receptive to engagement and people, um, at least in the corner of the community that we're a part of, um, are open for call-in, shout-outs, you know, discussing, collabing. And it's been very liberating um, to, to log on and see a group of people who, even just listening, I heard um, quite a few people unprompted talking about their own mental health um, journeys, even if the the topic of their own accounts weren't specifically mental health based. And that kind of gave me a push to be open and continue doing what I'm doing. Um, same thing with, I, we, I also have a Twitter um, for personally borderline at purse borderline. And I know that there's a active 
and vast mental health community across quite a few social medias, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, and possibly Snapchat. And the people that I had found on Twitter were also just as open and unfiltered and had the same kind of points of views. And um, so how, uh, for that, I specifically just use social media and I find people on social media who kind of share my perspective and share my motivation and my passion. Um, and that has also opened me up to, um, positive feedback. I have, um, one listener who came from Twitter and found my account and she's constantly engaging and, um, giving her input and asking me to cover topics and stuff and not to sound, you know, um, sound like all I'm doing, like my only reason for this is fame and clout, but it, it is nice to receive positive feedback, especially when your purpose and your goal is to help people. Um, if you've been doing something for a couple of weeks, even having just one person come to you and say, this has helped me so much and this is how it's helped me and I plan on coming back and I plan on engaging and they do engage and they do come back. It, it validates, you know, your, your whole point of doing what you do. Um, and then outside of that, um, just my general goal of being involved and successful and known, um, in all of my other endeavors, specifically at school. Um, my how is just, you know, networking and getting involved even when you're not a part of something. I'm trying to phrase this in a way that can be kind of like a tutorial for other people, I suppose. Um, so for example, my first step, a, uh, with the school was I went to, Back in March, during March break, I went to a um, orientation thing, a tour where you go and you sign up, and I brought my mom with me, and there were a bunch of university students who were just touring around um, graduating grade 12s, and they showed us, you know, residences and the college that we were at and whatnot, and I, this, they were doing the exact same thing that I did in my high school, which I was asked to do by guidance. Um, a guidance counselor scouted me and she said, come to this meeting and be a part of this. And I was like, okay. Um, and you know, I too were grade eights around my high school and, um, told them what to expect. And it was something that I wanted to continue doing in university. So I took it upon myself to, um, at the end of the tour, go back to the, um, student registration building or whatever and find out who the lead student coordinator was. And I got her call card and I left her a voicemail. And then now we're corresponding through email and I have, um, a volunteering interview set up to go to, um, to talk about getting a volunteer position as a student, student ambassador. So one of my, my things that I do is that I find out information about the things that I want to do well before I'm even like a part of the organization or I'm even set to be a part of wherever I'm going. Um, because I find what a lot of people do is, you know, they, they live in the now, which is fine, but they, they live in literally the next couple days and then they end up at a university or they end up at a sporting club or they go to an activity or whatnot and they enroll and the the minute they step foot into the door is when they start thinking about their involvement with the organization and they look around and they say oh wait there's so many cool things that are going on here I want to be a part of it and they go and they ask questions and they try and get involved and they find out that because they 
they are just starting to engage on the first day that, you know, something's opened up, they've missed the deadline for signing up to be like a, a more integral part part of what it is that they're involved in. I don't know if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yeah. So again, like a lot of my friends are going to walk on campus literally the first day of school and they're going to say, you know, I want to be a part of newspaper. I want to be a part of radio. Or I want to be on this sports team only to find out that auditions and tryouts and, you know, resumes were due way back in July, way back in August. Um, so one thing that I always suggest to people is if you plan on going somewhere and you plan on joining an organization and you don't just want to be, you know, a follower, like a, a part of just like a, a, average part of the organization you actually want to get involved you want to be a part of the behind the scenes you need to start looking at positions and openings and learning the the how the organization works like three or four months before you're even set to step foot because that's when they will be hiring and looking for volunteers for all of those extra like responsibility positions um so i'm just i'm someone who gets my foot in the door really early. I'm someone who's not afraid to make phone calls. I'm not afraid to find out who's the head of the department of something that I want to be a part of. I'm not afraid of introducing myself. Um, another example is I'm going for a writing workshop, um, literally tomorrow. Yeah, my appointment's tomorrow at two o'clock. And I was looking through all of the possible university professors it's like a 50 minute sit down or whatever and you bring a prior piece of work that you did well on and literally the whole purpose is this i'm going to sit down with this guy and he's going to tear my writing apart and he's going to tell me how you know how everything that i did that was acceptable for high school is going to fail me in university and i'm, I'm ready for it um but i looked at all the names and the specific professor that I chose was a name that I recognized because he is actually a professor for one of the lectures that I'm going to be in come September. Um, and this is a lecture that has a couple hundred people. Um, my school has thousands, like tens of thousands of, um, of students from first year all the way until their last year. So I literally am just a 16 digit number. And I chose this professor specifically because I wanted to meet him before the year started and get my name in there and so that he could put a face to my name and to my student number. Um, so there's small things that you can do. It's not only networking, but it's networking smart. Um, you know, I could have chosen any random professor, but I made sure to get one that I knew would be relevant to my growth um, and to things that I, I chose to do in the future. So it's, it's about not being afraid to speak up, not being afraid to ask the questions you need to ask, not being afraid to get the phone numbers and the names of the people that are going to give you the opportunities and jobs and volunteering positions that you want. Um, and also just being smart about the things that you sign up for and the seminars that you go to and not being afraid to, you know, hang back for a, a 10, 15 minutes and introduce yourself to someone. Um, and all of those things will help you kind of make a name for yourself and set yourself apart from, you know, the, the rest of the stream, I suppose. I, uh, I, I love that. And so, I mean, there are a couple of things that I, I'm drawing from that. There's, there's so much that, uh, you know, good quality content that you've sort of just shared <laughs> with us. But one of the things that struck me is sort of the living in the now, uh, topic and it's something that I've seen um, people talk about more recently and the idea of being present in the moment and these types of things so 
I thought it was important, given how given how well you seem to approach that topic, um, you know, I just want to sort of explicitly state it for people who are really following that mantra. So, living in the present, right, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean living exclusively in the present. Yes. It, you know, to the detriment of your future, right? Uh, yeah. It means, uh, in my opinion, and personally, borderline. Please let me know whether you think this is this is true for you as well. But living in the present means when something in the here and now requires your attention, right? Whether it's a, a person or whether it's a task, whatever, right? That you're able to give it that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but certainly, as it relates to setting yourself up in the short to medium to long term. Uh, you know, absolutely, you should be planning ahead. And, um, I don't know, does that sound right to you? No, it definitely does. And I've seen it firsthand, especially with friends, um, with jobs. Um, So I work with the city that I live in, um, and I'm unionized and I have good pay. And um, a lot of my friends, and my job, I literally, I don't do much in my job, actually. Um, It's not very hard work compared to my other friends' jobs, and it's very enjoyable. And um, a lot of my friends come up to me and they say, you know, summer's coming up, you know, I need a job. Can you get me a job with your city? And by summer's coming up, I mean, like, it's literally mid-May, beginning of June. And I look at them and I say, the city only takes applications between late the last week of December and literally all of January and the first week of February, like you're six months late. Um, and they look at me and they're like, but it's summer now. And I'm like, yes, as then everyone's trained and they're going to their jobs now. And they say, Oh, well, you know, exams were back in January. I had things to do back in January. And I look at them and I ask them, were you studying for your exams 24 hours a day, every day a week? Like, and they say no. And I was like, okay, what else are you doing? And they say, oh, I went to a concert. You know, I had a hockey game. I had a whatnot. And that's fine. That's things that you need to do in the moment. I mean, I went to a concert over the summer. Um, and those are things that you need to be present for. Yes, you have sporting events. You should be present for that. Or you can hurt yourself or someone else. Yes, you're at a concert. You should be present for that because you paid hundreds of, hundreds of dollars. Um, but all that time that you spent binge watching all 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy on Netflix, you could have been job searching. You could have been searching for volunteer positions. You could have been searching for, you know, a March break job or a cool summer gig. And now you're stuck with either no job or a job that you don't like because you didn't think to think ahead. And it was the same thing um, at my high school, too, where people would come up to me literally mid first semester or even into second semester and they say how are you doing all these things with guidance how are you doing all these things with this group this group this group and how do I get in on it and it was hard telling them that a you can't get in on it because you had to be looking ahead from grade nine like a lot of the things that I got involved in you either you get involved in grade nine and you work through it or you don't have a chance to get involved in it again so it's, it's a lot of forward thinking or you had to get involved in it or you had to put in your application literally the end of the previous grade. So if you wanted to do it in grade 11, you had to be thinking about it in grade 10. Or you had to be on the ball and getting your application in within the first couple weeks of the semester of the first of that year of school. 
Um, and people look at me and they're like, oh, well, I was just getting settled in. You know, I wasn't sure what it was that I'd like to do, whatnot. And a lot of, a lot, there's a point to this. A lot of this is, um, keeping doors open for yourself. Um, which is a topic that I, I'm very passionate about. And a lot of people would like to go into a new environment and settle into it and look around and decide what it is that they want to do. Um, and then they do that and it's a couple months in and they decide what it is they want to do, but because they've waited so long, the application periods close. And I always suggest like, you know yourself better than anyone else. Um, and it's your first year, and usually your first year of things is when you're um, when you're the least kind of inundated with work and with responsibilities. So instead of waiting to see what you like, think of all your interests and then sign up for as many things as possible. And within the first week, just drop things. Because if you're already in it, it'll be easier to drop it than if you're not in it um, and you're now trying to, like, warm your way into an organization or warm your way into a job. Um, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I don't know what I want to do. And I mean, if you have never lifted a ball in your life and the thought of sweating, like you break out in hives, don't sign up for sports. If you like to write, just sign up for every single poetry, writing, songwriting class that there is, and then go to them and then figure it out, figure out what it is that you like and drop the things that you don't like. You know, you don't need to sign up for every single club, but sign up for things that are relevant to your interests. Go out for things that are relevant to your interests. Volunteer for things that are relevant for your, to your interests. Um, and don't wait for the opportunities to fall into your lap. And don't wait until you just kind of stumble across something that would be perfect for you. Because generally, the moment that you stumble across it, it's been in session for the past three months and someone already has the position that you would want. You know, you need to go seeking for opportunities. Opportunities aren't just going to reveal themselves. And if they do reveal themselves, it's going to be past the point where you will be able to benefit from that opportunity, if that makes sense. I, I think it does. And so I guess two questions uh, as it you know, <laughs> relates to that. So the first is, relatively, let's say it's a volunteer position or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, just for the benefit of our listeners. Relative to the amount of work that you'll ultimately put in in terms of volunteer hours and the like, how much effort is it really to have a couple of conversations a few months in advance um, and, you know, to make sure that that opportunity or to help that opportunity be available to you? I would say no effort at all. Consider it like zero effort. And here's, and it comes, it comes back to keeping doors open again. Cause someone might tell me, Oh, I didn't want to apply to this job or make this call back in January because I wasn't sure just generally if this is what I want, would want to do come the summer, come June, come September, come whenever. And here's the issue that I have with that kind of thinking. A, the moment you close the door, you can't reopen it. So again, it's easier to be a part of something and drop it as long as you're respectful and you don't, you know, waste people's time than it is to try and get into something when the applications are closed. But also, two, um, networking is networking. And if you make that call for that volunteer position, you know, even you, it might, it works out for a lot of people where someone will make a call for a position 
or for a job or for a volunteering opportunity that they're not really, you know, into, they're not really excited for, but they're doing it because they have to. And they'll call a person and the person will say, you know, we're kind of full for this opportunity, but thank you for calling. And we actually have a couple of other things that we're looking for. Um, so a lot of people forget that when you're calling a person who's coordinating events and is a part of a, an organization, um, even though you're calling for a specific purpose or for a specific um, title or job description or whatever, um, that person knows a lot better than you do what what other positions are open within the organization or open within the company. So sometimes a phone call will lead you into a completely different department or a completely different experience or a completely different job than what it is that you were originally calling for. But you'll never have that opportunity to network and to learn about all these other options and all these other opportunities if you don't even pick up the phone. So I'd say it's no effort at all just to call someone and see what's up. Yep. Great. I, I suspected that was your answer. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so that, that, that's wonderful. And I was trying to think the, uh, well, there was a second part to it. I think you, you sort of covered it in your answer anyways. So, oh. <laughs> uh, so next, I guess you're what? I mean, you've already dropped a lot of knowledge, I think, on, on people here in terms of some of the actions that you take and, and strategies and what have you. But perhaps uh, you could speak a little bit more to your your day to day. How do you how do you look at your day? Uh, how do you um, I guess what t- types of things do you set aside time for uh, for your own well being, uh, either present or future well being? Uh, what do you I guess what do you prioritize in your day? And perhaps even more importantly. What types of things do you say no to? Okay. Um, this, I knew this was going to be the hardest topic, and it is the hardest topic because um, this directly relates to my depression, which directly relates to my levels of motivation. Um, so my daily routine fluctuates depending on my mental state and whether I'm manic or whether I'm depressed or whatnot. Um, so, uh, what do I do day to day? I'm I'm trying to give like a constructive answer. Um, the real question is it, it depends, um, on my circumstances. Uh, things that I say no to though, um, while I think of answers, I'm going to, I'm going to tell everyone a story about the, the, the benefits of saying no. So, um, I have three jobs and one of them is a retail position where we have a, um, a team of people, obviously it's a store, a clothing store. And I had always like, I pretty much almost always say yes to taking people's shifts a, because I don't get many shifts at this job in the first place. And B, because I'm in during my summer and, um, and I don't have a lot of things going on anyway. Um, but there are times when I'll say yes to taking a shift, even when like the timing of it is a little iffy with other things that I have going on. And also, even if I just, I don't want to, and not wanting to take a shift is a lot more intense for me because of my depression. So sometimes I'll literally have no energy to do anything, but I'll say yes anyway, because I've been saying yes for the past eight months that I've been working there and I feel really bad saying no. 
Um, and just recently, I said yes to take a shift last week, and I also had to go uh, to my nearest city, about 40 minutes away, um, to get some stuff done. And I ended up stuck in the city um, because I was too far away from the train systems that we have to get back home. Um, and I ended up having to call into my job and say, so I took this person's shift um, and I tried to make it work and I probably shouldn't have taken their shift, but now I'm stranded in the city and there's no way that I'm getting to work on time. Um, and I've called everyone else aside from the person who gave me the shift and everyone else is busy and you're going to have to close the store alone. Um, and that ruffled uh, quite a few feathers. And um, that's an example, a prime example that I learned about the power of saying no because I took the shift to be nice, but I knew that I have I had other things to do that morning, and it could have worked if everything aligned perfectly, but everything didn't align perfectly, um, and I ended up breaking quite a bit of trust for something that I didn't even really want to do in the first place. Um, so I have learned to say no to people, um, even if... Because I, I always say yes to taking shifts because I'm afraid that if I need help, if I never take anyone else's shift, no one's going to want to take mine. Um, but you you need to know that saying no to people, especially if you have good reasons and people know that you're busy in your life, um, isn't going to make them resent you and isn't going to make them, you know, plot against you when you need help. Um, so that's something I learned about saying no. And also, what do I say no to? I also say no to just overextending myself, which I think might sound very contradictory to um, what I was just saying previously, which was say yes to everything, sign up for everything, be a part of everything, and then shed things as you go. Um, you also need to be realistic about your time management skills and who you are as a person and how much you can handle. And um, I have had to learn to say no within the organizations that I'm a part of for projects and um, collaborations and um, events that we're doing. I'm someone who uh, leaders and supervisors like to give a lot of responsibility because when I commit to doing things, I do them well. Um, so people tend to ask me to do a lot of things for them. And in the past couple of years, I've had to learn also how to say no to people who are expecting you to perform and expecting you to be available and expecting you to be helpful and how to say um, no just for your own sanity and not be afraid of like losing reputation or losing standing in things that I'm already a part of um, because it's better to say no and force someone to, you know, give someone else a chance and also to find someone else to do something than to say yes to something and not get it done on time or not do it properly. And now there's no time to fix it. And um, you've kind of just tanked a project. Um, so that's kind of my little like diatribe on saying no. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I like that, and I, I'm not quite sure if um, you were ready yet to sort of talk about just some of the daily stuff, so I just thought I'd, I, I'd interject briefly. And Please so, interject. <laughs> um, and, and certainly, just as it relates to details and stuff like that within your day, uh, you know, feel free to share whatever you're comfortable with, too. Like, we, like this is not uh, a situation where, you know, either of us are really, you know, sharing... <laughs> intimate details about our days per se but um you know as it relates to saying no so 
I also have observed that, you know, it, it is really helpful. And there are a variety of ways to say it nicely. And, and you kind of maintain people's respect more so by, uh, you know, by saying no, or I can't, or what about this? And like offering other people solutions that don't involve you necessarily doing it. And uh, being one I, I've seen and observed, uh, both myself and others, uh, the concept of being a victim of one's own success. And yeah, if you if you execute on something and you do it well and you take pride in it, and that's great. You know, you may become the default choice for a variety of things, and that's wonderful. But if you're not really careful, you know, a slip here or there, it's not to say you, you can't weather a few of them, but it does start to erode the trust people have perhaps in you and, and, and that respect. And, you know, since relationships are so important um, in terms of uh, being able to collaborate later and achieve shared goals, relationships are one of those things that if you want to maintain them, that A, they take work, but this sort of needs to be taken seriously as well. And yes. it's not to say that relationships that, you know, it doesn't look like there is a mutual benefit for you in that relationship, um, that you shouldn't necessarily let it go because maybe, maybe you should. Um, but, you know, just to reiterate that relationships take, take work and, you know, I don't think that what you were saying is entirely contradictory. All you were saying is keep doors open for yourself. And your, I guess your more recent statements of saying no is just don't walk through too many doors. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh, I mean, those things do align. And you were saying, you know, shed the ones that you either find out don't suit your interests uh, after you learn a little bit more or you don't have time for or aren't as high priority for you as the other doors. Um, figuratively speaking, that's, you know, that's okay. And you, you basically shed down to the level that you're comfortable executing on that, you know, can maintain your, your, uh, your, your relationships and your reputation. Yes. Yeah. So, um, that, 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 that's, uh, I, I think it's really powerful and, and like there are a variety of ways to say no. So for anybody who is struggling with how, how to say no, like there are a ton of <laughs> There's a ton of advice online in terms of uh, how to go about doing it in a way that's yes. constructive. Though I'm, I am, I personally am a very blunt person, um, and it's very easy for me <laughs> when I decided to say no to literally just tell someone no. Um, there have been times when people have been shocked and they've looked at me and they've been like, "Wait, no!" And I'm like, "No, I, I can't do it. You need to find someone else." Sorry, and they're like, "Why?" And I'm like. I, I just can't. I don't really need to give you a reason why. Would you rather I say yes and botch it? Like, I'm telling you no. I'm doing you a favor. Go find someone else. Um, yeah. And but, when, yeah. You, when you know you can take those liberties, whether it's a friend or something like that, saying no bluntly can actually be really empowering. It can be a lot of fun. Um, it can. <laughs> and a lot of people, too, sometimes feel compelled to lie if they're saying no because they feel like their reason isn't good enough. Um and I, my advice is usually if you feel compelled to say no, there are very few reasons that aren't good enough to say no, because at the end of the day, if it's something that you don't want to do and it's a voluntary thing, you won't do as well as someone who wants to do it or you won't even do it, do as well as against yourself, against the work that you've done that you're passionate about. Right. Um, so unless literally your reason to say no is because like, 
I want to see my boyfriend for the sixth time in a seven-day week or watch the 150th episode of Doctor Who for the 65th time, then um, you really you really don't need a reason to say no. And if you're lying, the respect that you garnered from saying no will be lost the moment that the person finds out that you lied to them. Um, so just be truthful and be direct. You don't need to be blunt or rude, but yeah. you don't always need to have a reason for saying no. You, you don't. And... You know, if I might interject with something that is uh, I found helpful um, in terms of a, a general answer for or general reason for, for saying no, you can say, you know, in very kind words, um, no, sorry, I, I, I'm not going to do that or I can't do that. It's it's not a priority for me, right? I, I've, got, I've got higher priorities. You don't have to elaborate as to what those are. Uh, it suits any situation uh, and you don't get past any sort of judgment in terms of what other people uh think of the validity of your reason yes or just say you know i, I have a lot going on that's like a millennial way of saying some priorities I, I have a lot going on right now <laughs> sure and i guess there's a couple ways to to do that too right if you say you have a lot going on and I, i'm sure that works in a lot of circumstances that's really saying that you're busy and yeah. for those who are also busy they recognize that uh there's a difference between time pri time management and priority management, and I think there's a greater shift towards priority management, at least in the, the workplace. Uh, recognizing yes. we're, we're slightly different generations here. Um, but when you say something's not a priority, uh, you know, you're... I, I guess if you say something, you don't have time for it. Uh, you know, you, I guess that you leave open the possibility that that person still thinks what they're asking for you is higher priority than something you spend your time on. Um, you know, whereas if you, if you stay, say in very certain terms, it's not a priority for you. I think it uh -huh. sort of puts that issue to bed, but it kind of depends on the nature of the response that the person is expecting to hear. I think, um, you know, I'm the very first year of the millennial generation. So I guess it kind of counts, but it's kind of, <laughs> kind of an honorary millennial. Um, you know, fair enough, you know, a more casual answer to appear or something like that probably works nicely. Uh, I found when speaking with, uh, people from earlier generations, and I am some broad brushstrokes here, but if you say it's, it's not a priority for you or, uh, you have other parts that you're working on, let's say it's in a workplace that are going to create more value. It's like my time is better spent here, right? Yes. Or my time is better spent on these other things even if you don't have to mention what they are, then that's an answer that actually people walk away loving to hear. It's like, wow, I'm glad they didn't say yes because there were, you know, that would have meant uh, their work would have been less valuable to us. Yes, because they're not putting, they have other things they're focusing on. They're not putting their 100% into this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, I was going to ask them for a 75% return task and, and they've actually you know, identified a 110% return task on their own volition and, and they're sticking to it. Good for them. Like that's, you know, th that can actually, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a wonderful art to develop to say no to someone to have them be happy about it. Yeah. See, I, <laughs> I learned something today cause I, I've learned how to say no, which is something that people struggle with just to begin with how to say no. Um, I, I've never really, I've always been tactful, but it's not that I've never learned. I just, I don't think I've never really cared 
about how to say no and have people feel good about it at the end of it. Um, For what it's worth, very few people do. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that, that, that's a problem, perhaps. I, I, I think it might be because... I know there have been situations where I've said no and it's been understood, um, but for the most part, I just I kind of say no and I leave it at that and it's fairly blunt and people just kind of accept it and move on. But yeah. I have learned something today, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And <laughs> just to sort of tie up that, that one segment, um, so as it relates back to intentional living, the better that you understand your why and you know your purpose and what your goals are and what actions you're taking to achieve those goals... And if you're scheduling your time, if you're making time for those actions, right, which will ultimately lead to your goals and, and, and you know, your achieving of your why, if you put that in your calendar, it's all of a sudden so, so liberating because somebody comes by and says, hey, can you join us for this meeting? Or, hey, do you have time for such and such? You now have a direct comparison between what that person's asking from you um, and its value to both yourself and the organization, you have a direct comparison to that and what was in your schedule, what you had planned to do with that time. It's so easy at that point, if you had a plan for your time, to compare uh, or to assess whether that previous plan should be bumped. Um, and I feel like for those who don't know what they value in their life and don't have goals that they're working towards and this is easier said than done but you know the more you do it the easier it gets um yeah. you know it's it's hard it's hard to have a good reason or to say that you have higher priorities um with conviction if you don't know what your priorities are <laughs> that's very true right so so one of the reasons why intentional living starts with your why is so that um you can make those comparisons and you can guide how you spend your time knowing that it's got either the the highest confirmed return on your time however it is you choose to define that um, or the highest expected return you know even if you're sort of like investing in the the future you're developing relationships you're networking um, even if there isn't like a short-term, you know, benefit for you, you think in the long term this is something you really is worthwhile doing. Um, so that's sort of another way to look at it. Yeah, I just strongly encourage people schedule your priorities and your tasks into your calendar, and you're better able to defend your time against things that are not your priority. Um, and to rip off that, there's the saying that like every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Oh yeah, I love know? that. Yeah. But that works the other way. Every time you say no to something, you're opening up just an opportunity to say yes to something else. And I find a lot of people, like you were saying, they don't know how to say no because they don't necessarily know what it is they're going to say yes to. Oh, I love it. Yep. And sometimes leaving your options open especially when it comes to deadlines and other people's projects means closing a door. You know, if it's something that you honestly don't want to do, you're not going to put a lot of work into it. You're not going to put a lot of effort into it. Um, it might be worth more to you to say no off the jump than to say yes and being countered with a bunch of 
other opportunities a couple months down the line that are more suited to you. And now you're stuck in a commitment. And again, like I said, when I say try as many things as you can and shed them as you go, I mean like try as many things as you can and depending on the intensity of the activity within the week of signing up, shed things as you go. Don't become an ingrained part of an organization for months and months and months and, you know, take on projects and then just drop them all um, after you've become a trusted member of something because you've actually just kind of been floating through an organization for something to do because you're kind of screwing other people over. Um, So, yeah, sometimes you need to say no as a way to keep your options and your doors open for... um, new opportunities that are better suited to you to come around. And a lot of people have like struggle with that concept because they think, what if something better never comes? And my answer is what if something better never comes? If this was something that you're not really into in the first place, you're wasting your time either way. It's just one scenario. You're wasting your time and you complete a task or you complete the year or in an even worse scenario you're wasting your time and now you're stuck committing to one thing when there's something that you really really want to do calling your name over off in the distance yeah I, I think that makes a lot of sense and you know I, I almost look at you know the why the how and the what you know not just you know in greater levels of detail but I also look at it as time horizons you know the what is very much today, tomorrow, that type of thing, this week. Uh, The the how is sort of more medium term. What are some of the projects I'm working on? What do I want to achieve this month or this quarter or this semester? Um, And then the why is like, what do I want to get out of my life? Where do I want to be in five years, ten years, that type of thing. And so having all three, and specifically the how, like the middle one, I think Mm -hmm. helps in in this particular situation where, uh, and I agree with you, um, Purse, that if you've got a how, if you know sort of what projects you're working on and what projects you are you have sort of staged to work on after you've completed the ones you're on, and you have some semblance anyways of, of what you're going to be looking at um, you know, six months from now, that gives you, even though you don't know the details, right, that gives you a comparison point of is that goal, that you know, second goal from, from here on out, is that going to be more important to me than this club that people have now asked me to uh, to join? Um, you know, so your comparison points don't solely need to be uh, the the actual events in your calendar as you've scheduled them, right? They, you know, a, a little bit of foresight. And it's not to say that your plan can't and won't change. That's fine. But it it's important to maintain a plan <laughs> and and to, to to let it change as as things adjust and, and that's fine to reassess it but um, if you've got a plan if you know what you want to work on six months from now then you've got that comparison point I completely agree and also I figured out my my answer to the what oh. I have yes Good success. I have one <laughs> I was like I was talking and I was talking and then you're talking and it just came in my mind and it, it hasn't gone so Good. Um, something that I do is journal and it's it's kind of a two-tier system I have many tiered systems um and basically every morning i i wake up for the most part and i lay out a list of things that i need to get done 
like near future things that includes laundry that includes for example for today you were on the list of things that i need to do i need to get to these interviews um i might have a shift tonight it looks like it's gonna rain and it's outdoor shift so i don't know but that would be on the list of things to do um and i have a couple places where i i write down um my events my Apple Calendar is a godsend because people keep asking me to do things just at any point in time so I can take out my phone and check. But daily, I will, I've started doing it kind of on anchor when I wake up, but I also just open my journal and I kind of divide the page in morning and evening and I jot down the things that I'd like to get done today. Um, and then I just, I work through my day and unless it's something like an essay or, um, the house really is a mess and I need to clean, I just kind of do things keeping my list in mind. And then by the end of the day, I just cross off the things that are done. Um, and the next morning I will transfer the things that aren't done to the next page and then also add things that I need to do. Um, so I kind of just have like a daily overview of things. And also I journal at night as well. Um, which is a mental health focus, but it's helped me in general. Mm -hmm. um, and there have, been, there have been times in my life when journaling literally meant writing paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of emotions and thoughts um, on papers. Like I have four day, like four pages for one day. Um, and a lot of people think that that's what journaling is. It's like a Anne Frank story kind of thing. Like you could turn it into a book. But there have been times when I'm not as wordy um, and I find that journaling helps even just jotting down, again, a list of things that I did in my day. Um, and there's multiple reasons for this, but so I'll sit down at my desk and if I don't feel like, you know, traditional stereotypical journaling of like, this is my life and my name is this and blah, 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 I'll literally jot down like, went to the mall with so-and-so, went to work f for this long, and then in a little note, right, this coworker got me angry or this coworker was really funny or this customer did this. Um, and I'll just like article my day. Um, and I do this one because, because I have emotional regulation issues. It's helpful to look back on a concrete like fact sheet of what happened in a day that I might be obscuring in my mind. Um, and just being able to correct misconceptions about things that may or may not have happened. Um, Two, I do it because my therapy appointments have started becoming fewer and far between. So jotting down my days and then going back through that time period since our last appointment um, really helps me pick up on events and things that I need to talk about to clear up um, just for my own recovery. That way I don't forget things and waste a bunch of money and then I need to go back in a couple other weeks and bring up something that's now a month past. Um, and it just, it helps. It honestly, it's really nice when you sit down with your journal and you think I have nothing to write this is going to be a waste of five ten minutes which it really is just five ten minutes so just do it anyway um and you start jotting down bullet pointing you know I woke up I showered I walked the dog for this long I ate I went to work and then you hit an event and you're like oh wait went to dinner with acquaintance Cindy and then you start writing about the dinner and you're writing and you're writing and you're like oh and she said this and I felt like this and then I did this and she did this and I don't really know what that means and I don't know if I'd hang out with her again and then a couple like an hour passes 45 minutes whatever and you look down at your journal and you realized what you thought was just you know bullet pointing 
turned into stereotypical paragraph journaling and that you were really holding on to some anger or some confusion or some happiness or some excitement about an event that happened during the day. And because you started writing about it, you were able to, you know, get it down on paper and you started working through your thoughts and you kind of unlocked an emotion or an, an, exper- an emotion towards an event or an experience that you didn't think really affected you. And now you're looking back and you're like, oh, wait, this whole page just basically tells me that I don't like Cindy and I don't like having lunch with Cindy and she's really rude or she's really annoying. Um, And I don't think I'm going to have lunch with Cindy again. Um, So a lot of people kind of repress their emotions or they're so busy and everything is changing so quickly that they don't have time to, you know, analyze what just happened. And journaling really helps You know, even if you're just bullet journaling, just jotting things down, you never know when you're going to jot down an event that untaps a feeling. And because you've set down this half hour, 45 minute block to journal, now you can really assess it and really like think about how you felt about that event. And I think that's really important for my my cause, which is just mental health and your cause, which is sentient living and not wasting your time, where I feel like people's lives go so quickly that sometimes they don't even realize what events weren't fulfilling and what events waste your time and taking that time to journal and to reflect on your day might refresh events in your memories where you can now look back and say why did I why do I spend two hours with such and such person every two weeks why do I do it why do I hang out with them I don't like that and then you can reevaluate, you know, your priorities or you can go back a whole week's of information and you can say every single day I jotted down that I spent an hour and 45 minutes just kind of staring at the TV. Why do I do that? Why do I watch TV? I need to be more conscious not to watch so much TV. So I think journaling is great. Yeah. And I, I really like that. So if you'll give me a moment to, to paraphrase in sort of the, uh, I guess, the, the, the take that I would have on it. It's... Yeah. You know, we talk about sort of the measured self and it being important to understand, you know, who you are, you know, say fundamentally, but also how, you know, you're doing on a sort of a, a number basis. Um, and obviously advocating, understanding how you feel as well. It seems like journaling is one of several ways that you can record how it is you felt, right? And then slow things down and sort of, in a sense, rationally think about uh, whether those are emotions that you would like to continue to feel, whether you found that experience fulfilling or rewarding, uh, whether you, uh, you know, do or do not want to have lunch with Cindy again, right? It's allowing you to then make decisions and act differently uh, in future, right? Yes. And, and that's always really the point is it's not like it's not like you're always going to act in the moment the exact way that you would if you had a ton of time to think right I think the more practice you get at it and the better you know yourself the better your intuition reflects uh, what you would choose rationally but the um, yeah I guess you're not going to get there unless you spend the time uh, practicing introspection and yeah. this is a very practical way to to reflect on your day I mean for for me um, this is sort of very similar like I write all of my tasks down I'm a um, 
a big proponent of the getting things done approach by David Allen. Mm -hmm. And just, it's so freeing to have everything written down to know that I don't have to remember anything (laughs) as it were, like, because it's actually so liberating. Um, but in doing that, right, even if it's fairly minute, just the feeling of crossing stuff off my list at the end of the day, uh, like for me, that, that's my process of, uh, reflecting on those events and, um, you know, the second part of that process for me in the day is, is scheduling when I'm going to be doing the next things. And I, I use my conclusions from that day, uh, when I consider what I'm going to do next or how long I'm going to, you know, uh, leave until I do it the next time or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have so many journals, which don't fall into the trap of being so focused on organization that you actually become disorganized or unorganized. Um, but like you said, writing things down is, is very freeing actually. Um, because again, you don't need to remember things. You have a list of things all scheduled out. How many times has anyone like left their house and in the middle they think, oh crap, why I had one more errand to run. What was it? And then you go home and two hours later, you're like, oh, I needed to get my keys cut or I need to pick up milk. And now you have no milk or you have no keys. Um, but also this it is it is a big focus on introspection and on assessing your life and i feel like a lot of people are just afraid to look within themselves because they're afraid to find that they're dissatisfied with their life or they're afraid to figure out that they might be their biggest problem and every like the problems that they have are because of themselves or they're afraid to find that like they not they might not be the best person that they can be or the best person that they want to be I just I think a lot of people are afraid of introspection which is why I always suggest I don't even call it journaling depending on the the audience I'll just call it like you know like jotting things down or whatnot um it's starting with first of all making yourself to-do lists and then at the end of the day I literally just say to-do lists and then um uh, uh, accountability lists. So your to-do list is when you wake up and you have your list of things to do. And then your accountability list is at the end of the day when you jot down the things that you did do. And then I, I pose it as though, um, you compare your accountability list with your to-do list and realize what you spent your time doing and what you may not want to spend your time doing so that you can get your to-do list done. Um, and the things that you actually need to do done, but it's also just, it's kind of like a sneaky manipulative way of forcing people to write down the things during their day and really assess, you know, am I spending, am I really, is what I'm spending my time on really worthwhile? Um, is really the question that I, I want people to ask themselves, but sometimes you can't phrase it like that because they're afraid of introspection. So you have to make it, you know, kind of fun and kind of, kind of, shallow and just say, you know, make a list of things you want to do and then make a list of the things you actually did and compare whether you're wasting your time. But yeah. your real question like, are you wasting your life? So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people just don't like to introspect and you kind of need to trick them into it. Right. I, I like that. And, and if I might sort of summarize this part of our discussion with a bit of a change of maybe how we look at it, when you compare what you've done to what you wanted to do in the day, it it shouldn't be punitive. It shouldn't be, um, you know, you shouldn't be chastising yourself over 
things, right? It can and, and I think should be a very positive experience, right? So rewarding yourself uh, mentally, however, for doing the things that you said you wanted to do that are aligned with your values and your goals. Um, and being able to laugh about the stuff, it's like, ha, nope, that didn't get done today, did it, right? Yeah. Um, in, a, in a sort of a jovial way, in the way that you might, giving yourself, I guess, showing yourself the same compassion that you would a good friend, um, knowing that, you know, your friend had some wins and had some losses, and you can joke about the losses. You have to treat yourself, I think, uh, with a certain amount of, um, I, it's funny, it's like, I advocate for you know being serious with certain things but then when it relates to self-talk i feel like you need to be friendly um uh, because it's i think far too easy to be intentionally or unintentionally mean to yourself uh in a way that's not fair in a way that you wouldn't even speak to your best friend um or, or even you know your worst enemy right i mean um and when you sort of look at it that way and you look at introspection as a, as a positive thing, it's if you're fearful that by looking it back at your day that you see yourself as someone who's wasting their time or their life, if you think that's what you'll find when you look and as a result you choose not to look and you never look, mm-hmm. at, the end of the, you know, at the end of your life, right, um, let's put it this way. You're going to be that person that wastes your time regardless yeah. of whether you look. <laughs> um, and so the the difference is you can either look now, try to change some of those behaviors and do better, recognizing that none of us are perfect and we all go through this, or uh, when you're on your deathbed or you're retired and you're no longer able to do the things that you want uh, you know, to some capacity... Uh, skydiving or, or the like, you can realize it then. And you can realize that there was a, a lifetime of days that you didn't spend in a way that was consistent with you and, and your goals. And that, from what I hear, you know, hits like a ton of bricks. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's you're being your own best friend, really, in reflecting. It's, you're trying to be nicer, as nice as possible, to your future self. Exactly. You want to, it's the same thing with keeping doors open. Everything that you do now should work towards making things easier for the you that will wake up tomorrow, that will wake up in a week, that will wake up in a month, that will wake up in a year, you know? Um, you should... You should be feel fulfilled. You should be happy. But at the end of the day, the majority of your actions that you take should be taken so that when you need to revisit that topic or do something else later on, it's easier to move forward and to get more things done. And it's also like you were saying about um, self-care is work. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, introspection is the easiest thing in the world you'd think it'd be the easiest thing in the world because all you're doing is thinking about yourself um and you know yourself better than anyone else but just like anything else self-care and introspection and 
bettering yourself and becoming the best you that you can be does take a lot of work because you're untraining bad habits, you're untraining procrastination, you might be untraining the voice track in your head that's very self-deprecating. It's a lot of untraining. Well, first of all, it's a lot of thinking about where you are. You have to acknowledge what it is about your life that you don't like. Now you need to take all the things you don't like and you need to split it into things that you can change and things that you can't change. And some people can't deal with looking at things they can't change that they don't like and still having to live with them. Then you need to look at the things that you can change and untrain your bad habits, habits that allow those things to continue. And then you need to find good habits to change the things that you can change into things that make your life fulfilling. So, you know, it's, it's a step-by-step process um, and it's a really long process. And sometimes it takes years. Like there are people who started working on themselves in their twenties or in their teens and they're seniors now. And because of certain goals and because, you know, your life also changes and opportunities change. Um, I'm not saying they didn't get anywhere. Like obviously they've grown over the 40, 50, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that they've, been around but it's an ongoing process and you're going to be working on yourself and learning about yourself and learning about what works for you and what doesn't work for you until literally there is no you anymore to work on Mm -hmm. and uh, i like that so two things um that uh sparked once you said that the first is maybe it's important to to briefly talk about regret so in, in my opinion anyways you can't regret or shouldn't regret a decision that you made that was the best decision you could have made given the information at the time. There's a difference between uh, a poorly made decision and a decision with a poor outcome, right? Uh, Certainly when there's risk involved. So a decision can have a poor outcome, but if you look back and given what you knew at the time, if you wouldn't act any differently, then you, you shouldn't regret that decision. Right, exactly. Uh, and the the other thing is, so so don't beat yourself up over it if there's you know either stuff you didn't know or if you took a if you took a you know sort of an educated guess or gamble, and you know it, it fell sort of the the wrong direction or it fell the direction you didn't want it to. That's that's still something that you intended to do, and you can't really regret regret it. Um, the other thing is. Right, it's just sort of the, the benefit of an accountability partner. It isn't so much someone else checking in to see how much of what you got done was done, but largely they can provide you with a, or they can help you look back at your day or your week or however, whatever time period in a balanced way. And so ensure that you're giving yourself credit for the stuff you did do. And you know, yes. be that compassionate voice when, if and when you fear like you wouldn't be compassionate with yourself. Um, and so it's something I, I would encourage. And again, reach out to, to me if it's something that you're, you're looking for. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a network that I, I think has potential in, in the future. But, you know, if you're afraid of what you'll find when you, you um, do introspection, it's okay to do it with someone else, if that makes yeah. sense, right? Like, there's if you do sort of guided introspection, then you know you feel like you've got an emotional safety net there, uh, and it's not to say you won't find stuff you won't like, 
but you'll have that immediate reassurance that that's okay and that's normal and um, you know to to reassure people that it's the right process and it'll be it'll get better right and even to go further than that you know a lot of people because people and excuses um, a lot of people might say well I don't want to get an accountability partner that um, that's working on their lives or that's at a place kind of like you and I because they they might feel inferior or they might feel like it's an imbalance um you don't need to like look for a therapist or a life coach though if that's something you need I I implore you to get that help um but it, it could be as simple as just you and a friend you know acknowledging that you, you might not you might not be living a life that you want to live and you've been a little too afraid to assess your priorities because you're afraid of finding that everything that you've done has led you to this place that you don't want to be in and you're not sure how to um, back yourself out of it but if you and your friend are both starting from nothing it could it could feel more empowering working through introspection and working through becoming the best you with someone who is also currently not the best, their best self and is not close to becoming their best self um, or close at being their, their best self. And you two, you two just, you know, acknowledging the parameters that you're setting for each other and kind of the goals that you want from working with each other um, and going at it that way. Because a lot of people get intimidated if they're asking for help from people who've already been through certain things i find depending on the subject some people don't don't actually want help from people who seem to be farther along in a process than they are so it might just be as simple as getting a friend and saying hey are you like are you feeling fulfilled because i i don't think i am and i i don't know what will make me feel fulfilled but i i want to find out i'm a little scared so let's let's do it together yeah i i completely agree that that and so that's where i was hoping to, to go with it is that, you know, for this to scale up um, socially, sort of culturally, I, I think the only way it's going to is if we do so with our peers. And I completely agree. It's sort of a less, um, it's a less intimidating environment. It's one where there's ideally already established trust, right? And um, there, at the same time, you know, there is shared vulnerability, Right, and that in itself helps the conversation remain um, sensitive, right? To to the things that we find, the ways that we feel when we're, uh, you know, doing introspection. Um, so, if there's something that, you, if it's something that you're interested in, or even if it isn't, like I. I'd encourage you to maybe reach out to a friend who reach out to a friend and propose the idea, right? Even if it's something that you don't feel like you need, like I'm pretty sure you'll find value in it once you try it. And you know, if you, if you reach out, not just saying, Hey, I think you need someone to help you go stay accountable. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta approach it the right way. But it, you know, if you approach it from a very much like a, I would like help. Why don't we do this? together, um, you know, that's a wonderful way for it to scale up, for it to be a win-win situation for everyone to uh, become more productive and more intentional with their time and their lives at the same time. And you, you just start to really wonder 
what could what are we capable of as a community <laughs> if we have each other's backs in that sense yes right. and i think that's that's a great sentiment and this great initiative too something to share with people hmm. that sometimes you need to get through things together um and that's the only way of getting through for sure so that said um you know personally borderline i've really really enjoyed uh you know this interview and talking with you both uh you know our first interview and then uh, now this one and i was hoping perhaps we could uh you know close on two questions um okay. one is so what does living intentionally mean to you? And the second is, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you on social media? Alrighty. So one, what does living intentionally mean for me? And that honestly just means that no matter what my goals are, um, whether it be, you know, with the personally borderline brand and my mental health awareness or whether it be at school or with my friends or whatnot, that if it's important enough to me, I'm setting out goals to propel it, that I'm working on it, um, that I'm doing as much as I possibly can, short of harassing people, to um, to get where I to to get to where I want to be and be in a position that I want to be um, and be involved in the things that I want to be involved in and not cut myself short of opportunities and not close doors on myself. Um, so intentional living mean, to me just means being an active having an active involvement in things that I'm passionate about um, and staying involved and, and keeping that success um, and ambition. Um, and then where can I be reached? So I can always be tweeted at or DM'd on my Twitter, which is at purse borderline, which is at P E R S and then borderline. And I just recently turned on, like you can send me DMs even if you don't, or even if I don't follow you, sorry. So if you're someone out there and you like, you need help working through some mental health thing, I'm here for you. And my DMs are open now that I changed that. Or you can make an Anchor account, which I always implore people to do. And you can um, find me on Anchor, personally borderline, and call into my station or comment on my stuff. And then I'll call into your station and we can be friends. <laughs> and maybe you'll be on my, I can interview you and you can interview me. It'd be great. Yeah. Um, and for those of, you listening, I strongly recommend uh, following and listening to Personally Borderline. I, I think she's wise beyond her years and uh, has already created um, such a sense of community around her. And uh, I don't remember if it was you, I, th I think it was you were sort of talking about your anchor neighbors, as it were. And oh, yeah, I call everyone anchor neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it's very, it's very true. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do just, you know, strongly encourage you to. Uh, to, to follow along uh, with personally borderline and engage with her um, she's uh, very you know kind and friendly and um, yeah beyond that I just I hope that you've found value in our, our conversation today and, and thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us today and, and personally borderline uh, to you just thanks so much uh, your your insight and your um, your optimism and your practicality, like it's all just so useful. Oh no problem! I'm I'm here for this. Also, I almost forgot my podcast is also available where podcasts can be found. It's also personally borderline. But also, thank you for having me on your station. And um, 
yeah, anytime. I felt like this, I learned a lot from this conversation. And anytime I, I come from a conversation with someone and I learn something, it's, it's been worthwhile no matter like how much time I spend. So thank you for teaching me some things. Uh, well, the, yeah, the same, uh, same for me as well. So, um, thanks everyone. And I, I hope you have a wonderful day until next time. Live intentionally.